Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber. And today, where to even begin in introducing our guests? We could say he is an author, an editor, a blogger, a panelist at a prestigious Ask with Forum tonight. We could say his title, the Director of Ed Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute. We could call him an HGC alumni. I'm just going to sum it all up and say he is an education all-star. Welcome to the EdCast, Rick Hess. Hey, thanks, Matt. Pleasure to be with you. So, Rick, I think, you know, a good place to start is, obviously, you chose education as your career, your profession, your vocation in, in so many ways, and you're prolific in all the outputs. Let's kind of jump into where you are currently right now, the American Enterprise Institute, and what they're doing in education and what that means in terms of you for your career and, and what you're sort of bringing out to the world. Uh, sure. You know, I was a professor at the University of Virginia School of Education a decade ago. Uh, it turned out that schools of education were a uh, pl- pl- place where uh, a, a, a mixed environment for me to try to pursue the questions I'm interested in. Uh, ed schools tend to be very nurturing places, uh, very focused on instruction and pedagogy. And honestly, that's not the half of education where I probably have the most to add. Um, I tend to be interested in organizations and bureaucracies and uh, what happens when the going gets rough. And uh, AEI hadn't been in the education business uh, since the 80s. Uh, The president was kind enough to uh, recruit me to come start an ed program at AEI. And what it allows me to do is really look at questions like uh, accountability, uh, teacher quality, uh, you know, governance, uh, spending, uh, in a way that's probably more difficult if you're in an ed school environment, and honestly in a way that may be more directly focused on policy and practice than if you were in a disciplinary department at a university. I think your background is really interesting. You have the government background, but also you have the education background just in terms of your degrees. Yeah, you know, my PhD is uh, out of Harvard uh, Graduate School of Arts and Sciences and Political Science. Uh, my dissertation uh, was a Brookings book. Uh, this was my study of uh, 57 urban school districts and why reform never seems to pay off. Uh, it was titled Spinning Wheels. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, I came to those questions um, I had done my master's degree back before that in the teaching and credentialing program uh, at Harvard Ed. Uh, I'd been a high school teacher down in Baton Rouge. And when I came back uh, to do my PhD, I was supervising student teachers, uh, you know, in Boston and Watertown and, uh, you know, and greater Boston. So AEI, in terms of the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis, what is, what is cutting edge right now in, in the ed reform world and what you're doing in the sort of think tank world? And then how is it, where are areas where you can see market change in the work that you're sort of researching on? Um, you know, it, what's interesting about this moment is I think there's a, uh, uh, an energy around policy change uh, in a way that didn't exist five or eight years ago. And that can be a good and a bad thing. Uh, it's a good thing because... If you're me, you believe that lots of our rules on the books around how we compensate educators, about how we hold folks accountable, about how schools are organized, are anachronistic. It's less good or bad, it's just they were designed for different challenges in a different era. Uh, That means you need to change those policies, and energy around that is good. Flip side is it's easy for policy change to be simple-minded, to be arrogant, uh, to be misguided, um, and uh, quite honestly, I think we see a number of instances where, as uh, you know, well-intentioned advocates are pushing to change uh, legislation around accountability or teacher quality or what have you, um, that they are caught up in their own press clippings and being l- less thoughtful than they need to be. Where my stuff comes into this is, one, um, 
I like to think that I am one of those who is regarded as kind of unabashedly pro-reform, quote-unquote, uh, and who is very comfortable with things like for-profits playing a role, who at the same time is willing to challenge my friends. I think there's less, uh, of the, less on both sides of a tendency to call our friends to account than is probably healthy. And the, and the second piece is what I'm always most interested in is how these policy changes turn to practice. And that's this recent book, uh, Cage Busting Leadership, is just out with Harvard Ed Press. And what it points out is that you can change the rules and change the policies. But if you look at schools and systems across the country right now, you'll see leaders who are failing to take advantage of authority they have. You'll see leaders who are scapegoating the contract when they could actually act even under the existing contract language. And so a lot of my work is really about how do you cultivate the kinds of leaders in the leadership mindset with, you know, where you've got leaders who are going to be able to take advantage of these policy changes. Otherwise, it's a lot of sweat and a lot of fuss for not a lot of payoff. Yeah, and, and it seems like the ed reform and school reform movement is frustrating to a lot of people in the fact that the payoff isn't so immediate sometimes. Um, you looking at the whole movement and the history of the movement, and you're going to be speaking tonight about school reform and the futures of it, how do you know in terms of all the work that you do, what to focus on. There are a hundred different areas that you can kind of plant your stake in and say, this is how I'm going to help ed reform. This is how I'm going to help school reform. And in so many ways, you, you're you prolific and ubiquitous in how you do that, whether it's be blogging and all the books that you're writing. What's your weeding out process of what to focus on? Yeah, yeah. You know, this is one of the ways, one of the ways in which I'm different from so many people I like and respect is that most people get into education um, because they're trying to change the world. Uh, they, they see education as a mechanism uh, for tackling social ills. I never have. I got into education because I like and I'm fascinated by learning, and I like teaching, and I think schools are enormously interesting places. I, I hated being a student. I was a god-awful student in a terrific school system, and, and why I found schools such a miserable experience has always has always been of interest to me. So honestly, whereas most people doing this work try to focus by deciding what's going to make for a better world, what's going to do more to alleviate poverty, honestly, my, my mechanism has usually been what's interesting to me. What do I think I want to learn about next? Um, where do I think people are doing things that are really ticking me off? Um, it's probably less noble than, than most others, but um, I also find that it keeps me from getting into things simply because somebody else seems to think that they're important. I think the the writing side of this as your main tool and expression of getting your information across is, is incredibly powerful. And Obviously, in the editing and the book process, talk about working with Harvard Ed Press, not just this most recent book, but all the other books uh, that you're editing for and writing about. Sure. You know, I've been with Harvard Ed Press, gosh, for a decade now. Um, you know, I've probably done 12 or 13 books with them, mostly edited volumes. Uh, I have a series uh, on educational innovation with them. Uh, you know, I find them phenomenal. Um, you know, in this age of publishing, uh, the, the old model was publishers would go ahead and do these books because they had big standing orders from libraries. And between those library orders and course adoptions, they could make their money and they didn't have to much worry about whether it was interesting or readable or topical. Um, and that era has changed. And there's only a couple of publishers who are actually focused um, you know, on delivering these kinds of educational volumes today. 
And most of those are either plateaued or shrinking. The only one that comes to mind that's been growing like crazy is Harvard Ed Press in terms of visibility, in terms of number of books a year, in terms of quality. And so, you know, for me, just working with these guys and other folks out there who are either looking for publishers uh, that they want to write with or looking for books they want to read, you know, would just be terrifically advised to check them out because, you know, they're doing, uh, you know, this stuff on, uh, on instructional rounds, uh, this Dick Elmore Lee title stuff. Uh, they've got Jeff Hennig's terrific new book on, you know, why American education is becoming more like the rest of American government. Uh, they've got, you know, some, um, they've done this work on stretching the school dollar that, uh, that I was privileged to do that's been, you know, adopted by a whole lot more districts or states than I expected. That's just a great operation that was run by great people. Uh, your style in writing is, I would say, unique in that it's, you're a straight talker, you know? It's not speaking around the subject. You get right onto it. And it's apparent, and even the title of your blog, Rick Hess, straight up, right? So talk about how you've sort of cultivated this style as a straight shooter when it comes to ed reform, and also as a, as a straight shooter, but not as someone who's so antagonistic where they're not available to hear the other side of the argument. Yeah, you know, I think I mentioned a moment ago that one of the ways in which I sometimes feel different for good and ill is that I am less of a movement person. I'm less of a social reformer than so many others involved in education. And one consequence of that um, is I'm less confident that I know exactly what's good for the country or good for kids, uh, and I'm less confident that it's my job to fix it. That This does a couple of things. One, um, if I think I'm in this simply because I'm trying to help educate people, um, I'm just sharing the way the world looks to me, I'm just sharing my understanding, makes it easier in some ways to talk just to people. Um, I don't have to frame. What I'm doing is carefully. I don't have to worry as much about political uh, palatability. Um, so I think that makes that stylistically easier. Another thing it does is if you're not sure you're right, if you're not trying to convince people to hop on your bandwagon, uh, it's very easy to be less messianic, which means you can listen to criticism without getting unduly defensive, uh, which means you can acknowledge that these issues are complicated and people who disagree with you make valid points. And I think, you know, I, I often say that, you know, and there's a lot of other sectors, uh, financial services, energy trading, where I wish to, I, I, you know, I wish to God there were more people uh, who were in it because they were so passionate about social justice and making a better world. Education, I think we have this actually really odd opposite problem, is the people who are involved in education policy and advocacy and reform are almost uniformly there because they are so passionate and so committed. And part of the problem is you've got all of these people on various, you know, for however they come at it, um, screaming that they know what's going to work for kids. And what we need, I think, is, is some more cynicism and distance, uh, just kind of operating as the uh, ball bearing in the middle of this. Uh, so right now I feel like you know, I'm one of those few ball bearings. So for people to connect to your work, there's obviously your Ed Week blog, but uh, where can people get your books? Uh, how can they connect with everything that you're doing in the Ed Reform Movement? Uh, sure. Um, one easy place uh, for the current book, Cage Busting Leadership, they can just check that out on the web. Uh, just Google it uh, at the AEI domain. There's a whole page that links to various articles and materials and the rest. Uh, other book uh, recently did uh, The Futures of School Reform with a couple of good friends on the Harvard faculty, uh, John Maida and Bob Schwartz. Uh, that's available from Harvard Ed Press. Um, for my canon, they can, folks can just go to my AEI uh, Scholar page, and they'll see you know 
hundreds of articles, dozens of books. Uh, they, they can pick whichever's going to help them fall asleep fastest on a given evening. Uh, but, you know, really, um, the, what you mentioned, my Rick Hess straight up, my blog at Ed Week, is just really a great kind of point of contact to see how I'm talking about things, what I'm writing about. And uh, the links there will often lead you to a lot of other stuff that I've done over time. And you'd be willing to say on the record that you attribute all of this great success to the Harvard Graduate School of Education Master's Program. Hey, it was uh, shorter than a hurt, I'll tell you what. <laughs> you said you weren't a great student. Uh, was that the case at the Ed School as well? Uh, you know what it was? It was interesting. I was an atrocious high school student. Uh-huh. Uh, got, into, got into a college by the... Uh, skin of my fingers, not because I had difficult circumstances growing up or anything. I was a perfectly well-fed, kind of pleasant, you know, suburban kid with horrible work habits. And, uh, you know, but no, but, um, by, you know, undergrad, one of the things that's always struck me about schooling is I went to Brandeis University uh, down the road a couple miles from Harvard. And between there and then in the, at the ed school at Harvard, turns out that if you're actually reading things you're interested in and you're actually engaging people that you find interesting, uh, it's remarkable how much more engaging education can be, and uh, you know, I, you know, I had the privilege of uh, when I first came to Harvard in '89-90, uh, working with folks like uh, Paul Peterson over in the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, uh, Dick Elmore here in the Ed School, uh, folks in the teaching curriculum program like uh, John Amir and Vicki Jacobs. And you know what? It was uh, it opened my eyes to a whole new world. You heard it here first, straight up with Rick Hess. Uh, many books through Harvard Ed Press. Uh, thanks so much for coming by today, and uh, best of luck with all your work. Hey, thanks so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.